2: Welcome to the show. We made it to Friday. This is the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. We need only to have you call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR. That's 630 5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and as always if you're driving in your car, I'm told it's raining out there or has been raining so um, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button at the top of your screen and you'll be connected directly to your to our studio producer. Having said that, a couple things on the schedule for tonight and this weekend and then we'll get going. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, the end of Philippians chapter 1. Boy, an important Bible study. Philippians is so rich and so deep. I think tonight I'm verses 20 through 30 in chapter 1. Uh, And then on Sunday, of course, I'm going to be teaching uh, in the book of Acts, and I'm going to be at the end of chapter 1 and in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit makes his grand entrance into the world on the day of Pentecost, uh, important to Bible studies for us, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity uh, to teach them. One other quick reminder, and then we'll get right to questions tomorrow uh, at 10.30 in the morning. Um, I'm going to be having a pastor's discipleship class. It's a class where where I'm teaching people uh, here at the church. And I'm I'm way more direct in that class even than I am when I'm teaching, and I'm pretty direct when I'm teaching the Bible. But these are for people who are really committed to serve and, and want to grow in their walk with the Lord. Tomorrow, we're having a very special class. My two youth pastors, uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew, are going to be uh, teaching the class. And the reason that's important is because uh, they're going to be telling parents um, the questions, the situations, and circumstances that their kids are talking to them about. And so we wanted to extend the invitation if you have teenagers and you'd like to come. I promise you you will be blessed. you need to know what's going on in your kids' hearts and minds, even if they won't share with you they're pouring their hearts out to their youth pastors and um you know we we we're dealing with these things straight straight on and um Uh, I I think it would be a blessing for parents to be able to know that as well. So 10.30 to 12.30, we take a break at the end of the first hour, Uh, bathroom breaks, your legs break, and then we'll come back. But uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew will be doing that tomorrow. So all of that said, let's get to questions. I want to begin with a question that I ended with on Wednesday. Uh, Didn't have much time at the end of the program. It's from Vincent. Just to remind you the question. Uh, Your church doesn't allow dancing or other expressions of worship. I think you're quenching the spirit. Will I consider changing? And all I had time to really say on Wednesday was no, we don't want to do that. But Vincent, your question is more about what worship is rather than our individual expressions of worship. Anytime the focus of worship is the worshiper, we're missing the point of worship. Worship is to worship God. Worship is to have believers with one heart and one mind praising God, not attracting attention nor taking attention away from the worship of God. But instead, the idea is that we come before the Lord to honor and glorify him. And when people, especially in our culture, and I know we like our own rights and the freedom to do this or to do that. But the reality, Vincent, is that we cease worshiping God the minute that we're attracting attention from him. When we stop making it possible for others to worship him because of what we want to do. And we've all seen these crazy churches where people are running up and down the aisles and around and they're falling on the ground and they're doing all kinds of things. Uh, That's not worship. There's nothing holy about that. And worship is one of those times when we ought to be able to pour our hearts out before the Lord and do it in a way that really and truly honors him. So, no, I will never consider changing We need to worship decently and in order. And as far as quenching the spirit, Vincent... It's just the opposite of quenching the Spirit. And the reason it's the opposite is because the Spirit is trying to draw attention to Jesus, not to the individual who's doing the worship. I realize that we come from different church backgrounds. I realize that uh, there are different personalities involved. But always remember this, no matter what kind of church you go to, no matter uh, what your expression of worship is when you're all alone with the Lord, When you're with other people, anything that you do that attracts their attention is by definition taking the focus off of the one that we worship. So Vincent, very important. Um, We worship decently, and we worship in order, and that's the way worship ought then to be. Thank you for the question, Vincent. I'm sorry I had to deal with it so um, quickly on um, Wednesday afternoon. Okay, let's see what we've got. We've got a question from our email inbox. This one is anonymous. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. You spoke about ministry on Sunday. You mentioned the term spiritual answers and followed up with... Uh, talking about serving. Uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong. What happens if my spouse does not want to serve with me? She says that serving in the kids ministry is not her gift. I told her she does not have to teach, but just assist me, but she refuses. I see many couples serving together in specific ministries and see others who will not. I talked to my wife about two being one flesh. I really want her to serve with me, but she refuses. Am I wrong for uh, continuing to think about this, is she wrong? I see that you and Paula serve together in everything that you do. What are your thoughts anonymous uh, my, my first thought is sadness. I'm sad for you, but in your situation, the thing for you to do is to continue serving with all of your heart and let let the service to others change you and fill your heart with such joy that eventually your wife is going to catch it. She's going to see that serving and pouring yourself out uh, for the Lord and to other people. um, When that happens, um, just let her see the impact that it has on you. Don't focus so much on what she's doing or not doing. Instead, just let her know that the desire of your heart is to serve shoulder to shoulder with her. And and while you refuse, tell her, "It, it hurts my heart. I know I can't force you to do it, but I'm going to ask you at least as a Christian to prayerfully consider. The Bible says that we're one flesh. The Bible says that you're to submit to my leadership as unto the Lord. And I think Jesus would ask you to serve shoulder to shoulder with me. So please promise me that you will at least be praying about it and then tell her this. I'm not going to mention it to you again. I'm not going to mention it to you again. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You pray. And then, Anonymous, your responsibility is to demonstrate to her just what she's missing because of the joy and the peace that it provides for you. So it doesn't matter what her ministry gift is. Um, you come to, service ch- uh, come to church one service and serve the next and tell her that as soon as you're done and whatever you guys do, you can do. But let her know what joy it is. Again, not in a, uh, this is what you're missing kind of way, but just let her see the obvious change in you. One of the things that I love so much about our church Uh, anonymous is that we have so many husbands and wives serving together and in fact in many cases we have them serving alongside their children what a wonderful example that is uh to, to set for your children to see mom and dad growing together serving the lord together and they'll know that that your jesus is real that your jesus is worth having and that's really something that we focus on here um Just let her know. I really want you to serve with me. It hurts me that you won't do it. The Bible says that you're to submit to my leadership as unto the Lord, and I'm not asking you to do anything that Jesus wouldn't ask you to do. And then leave her alone and pray for her. Don't get frustrated. Don't get angry or or even become impatient what you do is you just pray for her with all of your heart. And don't make this a, an occasional prayer. Make this a prayer over and over. Lord, I really want my wife to be heart and soul in this with me. So please move on her heart, Lord. And you keep praying for and you keep praying for. And you watch and see what the Lord is going to do. Um, I love that you see Paula um, and and me serving. Um, and... and and that's what partnership really is. So those are my thoughts. And um, I don't know who you are, but I will be praying for you as well. Here is a question from Ronnie from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, how long should our prayers be? Ronnie, this is one of my favorite subjects. Thank you for asking. Then she says this, how should we pray? My wife taught me the Acts method, uh, which is adoration confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Nice outline. And there's also the pray method, which is praise, repent, ask, and yield. What is the biblical answer? Ronnie, the the, the very first thing our prayer should contain, and this is just remember, I'm not one of those people who thinks that we have to schedule time in a dark room or be on our knees in order to pray. But the idea is to wake up with thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul says, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So if your heart's not grateful, then your requests aren't going to be heard. So just, just remind him. Um, uh, he doesn't need to be reminded. I'm using human language. Just remind him of all the goodness that he's demonstrated in your life and how grateful you are for it. Thank him for dying for your sins. Today, when Paul and I were praying together, uh, when when she started to pray, um, she said, Lord, we thank you for dying for our sins, for taking my place on the cross. And you know, we've been walking with the Lord for a very long time, Ronnie. And when um, sometimes we can forget the basic things, but that's the one thing that we can all be grateful for every single day. So Um, whatever method you use it should begin with thanksgiving and one of the things that we can be thankful for the most is that we can come before him and repent God forgive me of my sins and I think we need to be specific Lord yesterday I lost my temper and I'm so sorry because I misrepresented you yesterday I I, I had these lustful thoughts and I thought about them I I let them dwell too long Lord please forgive me I'm sorry And Lord, I want my prayers to be heard. And then we can say, thank you that I can come to you, confess my sins, and be forgiven. And my relationship with you be perfect and completely restored all over again. Now, Ronnie, from that point forward, I don't think there should be a formula. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. He knows your heart. He knows everything that you're going to pray, even things that you're not sure about yet. So just talk to him. Open your heart and speak to him. Jesus said that that he calls us friends. So speak to your friend and talk to him about it. So, again, I'm not a big formula person. I do things the same way, Ronnie, uh, in my prayers. But I do that because that way I don't forget things and I don't forget people. So, um, but, but, but other than that, I, I just don't think uh, that we need a formula. The question that I was smiling over, how long should our prayers be? Uh, I think we could be a lot more effective in our prayers if our prayers were shorter. Um, I can pray for an hour if I'm walking with the Lord or something, and I can pray for one or two things or five things, or I can pray for 30 things. And I just don't think we need to go into excruciating detail. Ronnie, if you'll read the prayers in the Bible, they're very short and they're to the point. The problem with us is that we pray, we remind Jesus of stuff that he doesn't need to be reminded about. We fill in details that he already knows. So all we have to do is, Lord, and and I'm just going to give an example. We've got some people here at the church who are physically hurting, some of them uh, with, with uh, uh, fatal illnesses, um, others of them in serious condition, uh, others who have who've, uh, struggled with um, the, the same kind of condition for a very long time and their lives are filled with pain and difficulty. And uh, I don't need to tell God all of those things. So what I like to do is mention them by name, even though he knows the name. I just want to pray for them by name and ask God's mercy and his kindness and his healing touch on them. And I ask for him to sustain them during the the, the most difficult times. But Ronnie, I I just said that, and I I said it in, I don't know, 18 seconds. So we don't really have to go into all kinds of details. So uh, I think we... Actually, hurt ourselves when prayer becomes long. When we use King James English, um, we we say we repeat the same things over and over. We will say, "Lord God, Father God." We don't have to do that. They know who we're talking to. So just talk to them routinely. Talk to them, or talk to the the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in a way that you would talk to any other intimate friend. And just pray. But the prayers don't have to be long, and they don't have to be detailed, nor do they have to be loud. You know, we're told that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. And so we think fervent is, I'm going to shout, and I'm going to sweat, and I'm going to—we don't have to do all that. All we have to do is pray, but but talk to the Lord. They do not have to be long. And they don't have to be filled with a bunch of details. So it's very, very important. So uh, I think that's the biblical answer. I can tell you one thing, Ronnie, that changed my uh, prayer life. Uh, It's now a long time ago uh, when I taught for the Lord's model of prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and, um, you know, um, I, I didn't often use that outline um, but but when I studied it and was teaching it um, I made a concerted effort to pray that prayer not just in um, you know continual repetition but um, just to stop and think about it you know in the Psalms there's a word Selah S-E-L-A-H that you'll run into often and that's a pause it says before going on think about this meditate on this and so if, if I'm praying our Father, which art in heaven, all I have to do is say, uh, meditate on Lord, you're my Father. i an earthly father who loved me in his own inadequate way, but I never really felt loved. But you've made me feel loved from the moment. You're my Father in the sense of privilege is there, and then you can go on throughout that entire thing. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. Thank you for providing for my daily needs. Provide again today, Lord, for my daily needs, and I'll trust you for tomorrow as well. But see, you can take those those components of that prayer as an outline, and I promise you, um, Ronnie, the Holy Spirit will put details on it. He'll sort of fill in the blanks. And it changed my prayer life. And graciously, um, um, I asked God for the gift of brevity, and he gave it to me. And I think my prayer life is much more effective as a result. Now, we all struggle with prayer. And there's spiritual interference every time we begin to pray. But just sort of soldier through it. Persevere. And just talk to the Lord. And you're going to find that if it's just conversational, that it's not uh, so arduous. And, and you won't want to try to skip it or put it off till later. You can just talk to the Lord all throughout the day. Great, great question, Ronnie. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Randy from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I read this article this morning, and I would like your thoughts. This is regarding the Mormon Church. Why are there millions of people who follow this heresy? Please make sense of this. Thanks. Now, uh, this, this article isn't long, but I'll just read it uh, quickly. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said Tuesday it would back propose federal legislation to safeguard same-sex marriages making the latest show of support uh, for the measure from conservative-leaning groups. The nearly 17 million member Utah-based faith said in a statement that church doctrine would continue to consider same-sex relationships to be against God's commandments, yet it said it would support rights for same-sex couples as long as they didn't infringe upon religious groups' right to believe as they choose. Uh, Here's the quote. We believe this approach is the way forward as we work together. Uh, to preserve the principles and practices of religious freedom together with the rights of LGBTQ individuals. Much can be accomplished to um, heal relationships and foster greater understanding, the church said in a statement posted on its website. Randy, this this is not heresy. This is just um, wicked and evil, but there's heresies in the Mormon church that are far worse, far worse than this. Just that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Think about that. God the Father had a good son and a bad son. Jesus turned out to be the good son. The, the heresy is in changing the character, the nature of Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. And so there's a lot worse things, and why people follow it is simple. People will believe anything. People that won't believe the truth will believe anything. And honestly, Randy, the um, the reality is that most Mormons, um, like most Christians, don't really know the doctrinal positions of their church. They don't really know because they don't really care. I know Mormons who say, No, we, we serve Jesus. He died for our sins. Salvation is only through Him. But they have no idea who the Jesus of the Mormon church is, and they're not interested because this is the way it's always been. And as I said, Randy, it's, it's tragic Because people sitting in churches, including the church I teach, and I teach Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, they don't really dig into their Bibles ever. They come to church, they sit, they hear, but they don't learn, and they don't know what we believe. And the reality is a whole bunch of people sitting in professing Christian churches in this country believe the same thing about gay uh, and and uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, people as as the Mormon Church just did. This is a compromise. This is simply their way of saying, "Well, you know, we're still going to hold our position, but we're really not bad people. We understand you." And our message to them is repent. It's it's interesting in Acts chapter seventeen when the Apostle Paul goes to Mars Hill uh, at the Areopagus. Areopagus. Uh, Paul is laughing at me now. I know. Um, Paul says, but in these last days, God requires men everywhere to repent. And our message needs to be a message of of faith in Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith, a gift from God, but a gift that requires us to repent of our sin. And unfortunately, most of the professing church world just doesn't think it's that big a deal. Live and let live. and Why can't we all just get along? Uh, We're not supposed to get along. And so, uh, Randy, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible uh, statement. But as I said, uh, this isn't even close to the worst thing that the Mormon church believes. One of the reasons that I was asked many years ago when Mitt Romney was running for president, would I vote for him? I couldn't vote for anybody who thinks they can be a god of their own planet. And Mormons believe that. How could you vote for somebody with that kind of of illogical thought process? And yet there were a whole lot of Christians lining up to support him. Because at least he wasn't the other candidate when he was running against Barack Obama. So I hope that answers your question, Randy. Don't have any expectations of cults. The Mormon Church uh, is a religious cult, and um, I'm not surprised at all about that. So I hope that makes sense to you. Hey, we are coming up to the end of the first half of the program. We would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. When we come back on the other side of the break, we've got questions from Patrick, Paulette, and Jesus. And um, we'll interrupt those for any of your phone calls if you so desire. Hey, this is the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, 3409585. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left in the week. I understand it's going to be cold tomorrow, so it'd be a good place to be at our pastor's discipleship class tomorrow at 1030. Uh, I know I said that I was going to start with the questions, but I've had several questions. What I've got a phone call? Yeah, no, no, you're okay. good. Uh, uh, I, I, I got a question that I've been, I've sort of been inundated with other pastors, uh, Calvary Chapel guys, but this is a, a question that I got yesterday. It's from Rodney, and so because it's fresh in my mind, um, uh, I want to, I want to start with it for this half of the program. Rodney says, did you see the Jeopardy show when they attributed Hebrews to Paul? There's a huge online controversy over it. Rodney, I did, obviously. Now, let me share a little bit. So, uh, I mean, I know exactly the time. Paula and I are sort of Jeopardy experts. And by that, I mean, not that we answer the questions right, but but we like it. We, we DVR it every day. So we can sit and watch it together. And we've been doing that for a very, very long time. So uh, I like information, stuff like that. So yeah, we saw the show. Um, and the, the uh, it was a final Jeopardy answer. And it, the category was the New Testament. And the question was, uh, which of Paul's epistles, um, or no, the the epistle of Paul that contains the most Old Testament quotes. And the guy who was in the lead, he said, what is Romans? And then the other person who was close to the lead said, what is Hebrews? She was first. And that was the question they said that was the right answer. What is Hebrews? And of course, um, that's sort of when the controversy blew up. And I've sort of been following a little bit. And then because of the conversation that's been going on among uh, a bunch of us who are Calvary Chapel pastors, um, you know, that, that they brought that up as well. So I've been listening to them. And, um, you know, the, the the reality is that more people do not believe that Paul was the writer of Hebrews than do. And certainly, if Hebrews is not the right answer, if it wasn't written by Paul, then Romans is the right answer. And this is blown up to be a big thing because this is their tournament of champions uh, that's going on right now. Now, I want to be up front. I believe with all of my heart, Rodney, that Hebrews was written by Paul. Somebody says, well, where's your evidence? I said, it's real simple. Read it a hundred times. And I've read Hebrews so many times, uh, it, it's, it's like I, I know it in my soul. And the more you read it, you're going to see the heart of Paul. Um, the language of Paul, it's a little bit different um, um, a form of Greek, uh, but, but it's more formal uh, because Paul is writing, I believe Paul is writing to Jewish converts to Christ who are being persecuted. And he's writing to them in a way that they're going to receive it. Uh, so I really do believe that, that, that Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, but as I said, there are more Bible scholars who don't believe it than do. And for that to be the question or the final answer on Jeopardy, um, uh, when there's no attribution, um, it, it was really a, a bad choice for them. Uh, I find, Rodney, that they get um, a lot of Bible stuff wrong. A-, a lot of Bible stuff wrong. They've had Bible categories uh, in the last few programs on this Tournament of Champions, and the result has been, uh, I'll answer the question, I'll say to Paula, I'll say, well, this is the, the answer they want, but that's not right. And, and you know, they, they ought to stick to their wheelhouse, and certainly... Um, that secular group of people, the Bible is not their wheelhouse for sure. So yeah, it is a huge online controversy right now. I'm really interested to see whether or not um, they're going to do anything about it or make the correction because this controversy is growing and it's just not going to go away. And the guy who should have won that if the answer was Romans, um, he's the one who is behind now in the, uh, in the the in the... Tournament of Champions, and he has a legitimate um, complaint, and I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to do. Okay, it's the first time in a little more than 10 years that we've talked about Jeopardy on the word to stand on for life, so that's it. Here's Patrick's question. He says, Pastor Ron, what is your view of cremation? I was listening to Pastor Mike Fabarez, and he said cremation is wrong, even sin. What do you think of him? Well, let me tell you my view of cremation first. I don't think it makes any difference what we do with these old bodies, Patrick. Um, I told Paula, just take me out in the backyard and bury me or let the birds pick me apart. It doesn't matter. I I won't care because the minute I'm dead, the the minute I take my last breath, um, this old body has no value at all. And we're so superstitious about it. There's just no value at all. And I won't mind no matter what Paula does. Paula and I have a joke. She says she's going to have me stuffed and put on uh, uh, some wheels so she can sort of roll me around the house to be with her. And, you know, that's kind of dark humor, but, but we don't care. I, I could care less what happens to me when I'm in my new glorified physical resurrected body. So um, I think it is obscene, Patrick, the amount of money we spend on funerals. As a pastor who has done so many funerals and dealt with so many um, uh, funeral homes, the amount of money is obscene. People actually go into debt. They're sold these expensive funerals, and of course, they're, they're, they use guilt and 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 other nefarious means to sell their um, their most expensive packages. Um, and I think that's horrible. When when families ask me for counsel, I always tell them, look, you can't afford it. Don't do it. It's okay. Your loved one is with Jesus right now. would probably be upset if you spent the extra money. And cremation is relatively speaking inexpensive. It's gone up about five times since I started thinking about being cremated if something happened to me. Um, so so it's still not cheap, but uh, it's certainly cheaper, and uh, that's what Paul and I have decided to do. Now, I actually heard on the radio uh, Pastor Faberez uh, I think, I know how he says it for sure, but um, I heard him on the radio when he was talking about it, and uh, uh, his answer deeply troubled me. Um, The idea that that we have to show respect, the idea that uh, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, well, that's only true while we're alive. And so uh, I I think his answer was um, grossly wrong and overstated. And even as I say that, I want you to know I love the guy. I think he's a great Bible teacher. And honestly, um, when I'm in the car, or get a chance to listen to him. He's on local radio here. I think he's on uh, one of the Christian stations. Uh, I hear him um, with some frequency because uh, uh, I'm in the car a couple times during the week at the same time and his radio show comes on. And I like him. I've never heard him say anything that I disagreed with until this on cremation. So I think he is a really gifted Bible teacher. Um, I have no issues with, with anything that he said except this teaching on cremation. Uh, I think these old bodies, Paul says outwardly, we're wasting away. And the idea is we will absolutely be thrilled, absolutely be thrilled to uh, shed these old bodies. And I can't wait. I can't wait. So thank you, Patrick, for the question. Here is Paulette's question. Why does the Bible say that you must be baptized to be saved instead of just being saved by grace? Paulette, it it doesn't say that anywhere. Now, I realize there's some place, Acts chapter 2, I'm going to be getting to it in a couple of weeks. Um, um, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Peter says. But that's not anything more than a cause and effect, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and be baptized because you're saved, not to get saved. Um, um, we're told also that uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And then it says in the very next verse, whoever believes, I'm sorry, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Very next verse, in the same sentence so if baptism was required for salvation then that sentence would read whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever doesn't believe and is not baptized won't be saved but it says only the one who is who does not believe will be condemned so the idea we have to understand the 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 context and the timing when these were written jews understood baptism it was a jewish ritual um, um, the, the, the New Testament church, um, was entirely Jewish at the beginning. Baptism was, was a given. There was nobody there who argued about baptism. Should we, or shouldn't we, or how should we do it? Um, they got baptized because that's what they wanted to do. That's what Jesus said to do. And they wanted to do it. Um, but, but in the first century church, everybody understood that baptism was something that we do not to get saved, but a response to the gift of salvation, and it's an act of obedience. And so we read, Paulette, from people, and we got Church of Christ people listen to this program, and and they're wonderful people, and and uh, while there are some really problematic Church of Christ's out there, most of those people are truly born-again believers, but they've had this brainwashed um teaching for so long about you must be baptized, you must be baptized, and it's simply not true. That that would contradict. If we needed to be baptized to be saved, it contradicts that we are saved by grace through faith and that the faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And over and over it says we have to believe to be saved. It doesn't say we have to be baptized. Acts 2.38 and the other one is, I think, Acts chapter 1. Um, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Those are the only two places, and it's just a misunderstanding. This is why, Paulette, we need to be workmen and workwomen who rightly divide the Word of God. One verse can't contradict all the rest of the verses. And if we rightly divide the Word of God, we'd understand that, and then we'd search out the historical context and come up with what the true meaning of something is. So it doesn't say that, and you're talking to somebody who's saying, "Well, oh, the Bible says this, the Bible says that." Peter is giving a, 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 a message to Jews on the very first day of the church. Uh, I'm going to get to that message not this Sunday, but a week from Sunday. I'm just starting chapter two this, this Sunday, and he's going to say, that, you know, he's he, he he basically points a finger at him and says, "You killed God," and the Holy Spirit falls and convicts them, and basically they say, "Brothers." We're busted. So what do we do now? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And he tells them the times of refreshing will come upon them. And and that's the salvation that, that is a gift to all. So his Jewish audience would have understood completely what that is. Paulette, good question. Thank you very, very much. for your live calls and questions. Jesus says, how can I be sure I am in God's will and how can I find it? Jesus, this is a question that we get a lot on this program and it's a question every Christian has at some point to some degree. In their walk, we want to know, we got to know, we got to know. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and it's probably not going to be a very satisfying answer, but it will give you peace if you'll just embrace it by faith. Here's the answer. You hang out with Jesus, and you cannot miss God's will for your life. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I call them by name, and they follow me. If you're really, truly following Jesus, then how can you miss his will? It's impossible to miss his will if you're following Jesus. Now, I understand, Jesus, that if we uh, are doing what we want instead of what God wants, then we're going to miss his will. But you see, if you're with Jesus, I say all the time, just be with Jesus. If you're with him, then his will is going to be set before you. Now, we know that his will is a pretty narrow path. Jesus himself said that of the road to salvation. But the road to being in his will is even more narrow. We like to make multiple choices. We like options. God has a will, a perfect will for your life. And he wants you on that will. He's going to do everything that he can to keep you on that path. And if you are not on that path, then you're not walking with Jesus. Like He keeps walking and we veer off. You know, when my dad used to take me to places... He'd always complain because he could never find me. As soon as he turned his back to me, I'm off somewhere. Well, a lot of us do that as Christians. So all you have to do is be in his will. How do you do it? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, considering everything that God's done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. You're saying, Jesus, today I'm yours. You get up tomorrow and say, Jesus, today I'm yours. And then you walk in holiness, pursue holiness, the Bible tells us, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we want to please the Lord. That means we've got to say no to our flesh so that we can say yes to him. And when we're walking with him, and let's just say for a moment, Jesus, you mess up. All you have to do is say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that again. And you're right back in his will. And see, faith requires that we walk in God's will. Jesus, let me take an extra three minutes here to share with you um, how this really became a part of my life. You know, as a pastor leading a church, There are all kinds of things that I think the Lord has asked us to do. It it goes back to a free school or a a free doctor's office, um, um, manor house, all all the other things that we do here. Everything that we do here is for free. And nobody else does that. But when the Lord was was speaking to my heart, this is what I want you to do, and we would take these steps of faith, I'm telling you, Jesus, every single one of those steps of faith was met with a test. 1 Corinthians four two says it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And so in the middle of the test, God was testing my faith. How would I respond when it looked like maybe I made the wrong decision? How would I respond when people came up and said, this isn't of God. God wouldn't do things free. Nobody does these things free. Those were tests. And there were times when we just, we had no money at all, Jesus. None. And I'm thinking, Lord, was I wrong? Did I blow it? And God shows off at just the right time. And now after all of these years, we kind of get used to sometimes doing without. We're in these times of testing. And yet Jesus' response to me was, you're with me today, right? Yes, Lord, I'm with you today. How could I miss God's will? If I'm walking with Jesus. So, Jesus, just walk by faith. Follow Jesus. Here's the best news, and I'll quit with this. If your heart is right with God, the decisions you make don't have to be right. Don't put pressure on yourself to be right. Just be right with God. And if your heart is right with Him, and if you make a mistake, and believe me, this pastor has made a lot of mistakes. God simply stops me in my tracks, turns me around and says, let's go together the other direction. And I so appreciate that. It demonstrates just how much he loves me and how much he loves the work that we're doing here. So, Jesus, thank you for the question. Here is a question coming in from, let me see here. Oh, Ronnie, again, from our email inbox, a follow-up, I guess. Thank you for answering my first question, Pastor Ron. I have another related question regarding prayer, if you don't mind. I don't. She says, um, I do have trouble praying. A Christian brother has told me that people who say Father God or Lord Jesus a hundred times in a prayer, that those people are not prayer people. I don't pray often, and when I do, I use those terms a lot. Is he right? Ronnie, he can't judge your heart, and he shouldn't have said that. Um, let, let, me, let me put it another way. Um, we have corporate prayer. And um, I can always tell when somebody is a prayerer. And I don't mean just occasionally, but I mean somebody who's comfortable with prayer, somebody who prays a lot. I can always tell because their prayer is conversational. Now, if you were talking to me, Ronnie, you wouldn't say Pastor Ron over and over and over and over, and over again. But but this is, I call them tics. These are nervous tics. It's like pastors who will say, they'll make a statement, and they'll look at church and say, Amen? And, and the, the crowd dutifully responds, Amen? And then he'll say something else, amen, or hallelujah. We've all got these nervous tics. So, Ronnie, the the way for you to fix this is just be aware of what you're saying. And tell the Lord, Lord, I just want to talk to you like my closest friend ever. Like I can completely trust you. And he'll change the way you pray. Now, Ronnie, let me give you some advice that I've given our church I'll bet a dozen times. We all have these recording devices that we carry around our telephones. So record your prayers. Put it on record and then forget it's there and then just pray. Just pray normally. And then listen to your prayer and you're going to be aware of the things that you repeat, things that you say over and over and over. So... um. Again, if you're conversing with Jesus, you don't have to keep calling him by name. There are times when you're going to want to. Lord, I love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. But you don't have to keep saying it over and over. It's simply a nervous tick, and certainly nobody should judge your heart for that. Um, and and when, when typically when people um, fall into those habits, you can tell that they don't pray a lot. There's another word, Ronnie, that uh, you can listen for when you record your prayers. Um, The word is just. We Christians, and this is true, especially of Calvary Chapel people, Lord, we just want to bless you, and I just come before you because I just want this, and oh, Lord, I just want to to praise your name, and we, we just say over and over and over, those are just ticks, and we need be more conversational. I think the more conversational we are, the more genuine it is. In other words, let's talk to God like we actually know him instead of talking to him like he's a stranger. And even as I say that, Ronnie, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty in the least. Just God knows you're working through it. And I think what will happen as you get more conversational, you will just talk to the Lord more. And that will be your prayer. One other comment, Ronnie, and then we'll close with one more question. Um, One of the things that I think all of us ought to do is come to corporate prayer. At your church, our church, we have corporate prayer. Saturday mornings at 9.30, Paul and I were always here. And I know it makes people nervous to pray in front of other people. But we have a really good, strong group that come, and they've been coming for a long time. And to hear how their hearts and their prayers have changed is such an unbelievable blessing. We have a young woman. Everybody's a young woman to me, but her name is Marilyn. And and to hear her pray now compared to the way she prayed when she started coming to corporate prayer several years ago is such a blessing. I can almost see the smile of Jesus. We have another lady named Phyllis. When she prays, I keep waiting for the walls to start shaking because she's praying the Word of God, and and her heart is so right before the Lord. And I just love that we have a uh, an African couple here, and and they will just sometimes start singing, in 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 their prayers, and it's just like the the sweetness of God is all around us. And prayer is a great thing, a wonderful thing. And I guess we'd been doing it, I don't know, Paula could tell me, maybe 10 years or more when the Lord said he wanted to start. You know, my schedule's really busy. And I thought, wow, well, one more thing. But it is the best hour of the week. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. So Ronnie, don't let anybody judge you. Don't worry about what they think. Just pray. When you say, I don't pray often, change that. Take a walk with Jesus, walk around the house, talk to Him. And I promise you, you'll start to enjoy it. Great question again, Ronnie, and I'm glad you sent the follow-up. Okay, we are pretty much done. I've got time. I don't have time for one more question. Okay, tonight, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to end the chapter beginning in verse 20. Uh, It's hard-hitting. Holy Spirit will really touch your heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week serving the Lord. Go to church on Sunday and serve somebody besides yourself. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630. Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4